Will you turn with me please to that first scripture reading, our psalm, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Well, we are turning this evening to a very familiar portion of the Word of God. It's perhaps the most familiar portion of Scripture or most frequently memorised. I guess that's arguable, but there must be very few people, certainly of a certain generation, who are not familiar with this section of the Word of God. I want us to go through it this evening for our encouragement. I'm not going to say anything dramatically new that will tickle our ears, I'm afraid, for those of you who like having your ears tickled. But I trust it will be a reminder and an encouragement of things that we need to be reminded of, that need to be placed before us, and that are always an encouragement to hear them again. The Lord is my shepherd, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is an affirmation. David is making a statement. The Lord is the great shepherd of his people. But he's going beyond that. It's not just a statement of doctrine. The Lord is the great shepherd of his people. He's saying the Lord is my shepherd. This is a personal affirmation. A statement of faith. David is setting out here that which he most surely believes. David is preaching to himself. In this psalm, David is preaching to himself. And verse 1 is the text, and verses 2 down to 6 is the sermon. This is the subject that David is going to consider. The Lord is my shepherd. But he begins off with a bold, courageous statement to himself. And it helps us in our prayers to affirm things to ourselves, to remind ourselves of the things that we truly believe. So uh, this is what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. He then goes on to a conclusion. The word Lord there is Jehovah. He begins with the truth, the firm belief that he has that the relationship between himself and Almighty God is like a sheep to a shepherd. And he confirms that he is part of the Lord's flock. The Lord has him as one of his sheep. And he draws a conclusion from that. And the conclusion that he draws is, I shall not want it's a premise and a conclusion. The premise, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if my shepherd is the Lord Jehovah, if he has taken me to himself as one of his sheep, then one thing most surely follows from that, I will not lack any good thing. The word want here doesn't mean, the, the meanings have changed really a little since this word was used. We tend to mean want, meaning desire. I want in that suite. I want that thing to wear. I want this. I want that. It means I shall not lack. I shall not be missing something. A bit like somebody might say that that's wanting, somebody is wanting an arm, meaning that they are missing an arm or something like that. Wanting in that sense. So what he is doing here is he is Drawing a logical conclusion, all my needs shall most surely be met if the Lord is my shepherd. As the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord knows what his sheep need. The Lord, like a parent, a good parent, knows what their children need. The Lord knows that the children don't need to be stuffed up to the eyeballs every day with good sweets. 
they need certain types of nutrition. And the Lord doesn't necessarily give us the things we desire and we crave. He gives us our needs. He provides those things that will be best for us and most healthy for us. And David is willing here to bask in that great truth. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows my needs and he will most surely provide for them. So this is the text of the psalm. The shepherd is Jesus Christ. We read in the New Testament how the Lord took the title upon himself, I am the good shepherd. Elsewhere in the New Testament, he said that he is the great shepherd, or the scriptures say that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. Elsewhere it says that he is the chief shepherd of the sheep. So in reading this psalm, we chiefly have an eye to Jesus Christ, and we can take a into our understanding and our hearts here, this is describing the relationship of the believer to his saviour. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has, describes himself as the shepherd of his sheep. So we see Jesus Christ as we go through this, um, this particular uh, psalm. Now, this is all by way of introduction, really. Another thing that we see in this psalm is that there is movement there is development, there is progression. We start off in verse 2 with the sheep lying down in green pastures. Perhaps this is a tired sheep, a weary sheep, lying down in the pastures and recovering after perhaps difficult experiences, having a period of refreshment and strengthening. But then there is a journey ahead of it. And in verse 2, it leaves the pasture fields of the valley and it starts to walk along other pathways. He restoreth my soul. You see now the sheep is getting strengthened. And being strengthened, he leadeth me. He leadeth me forward in the paths of righteousness. Now there is a path to be followed, a path of growing holiness and righteousness, the way that the Lord has chosen out for me. And we'll go through this in a little more detail in a minute. But you see there is progression. We start in the valley where we are fed and watered and made peaceful and joyful in the Lord but then there is also this progressive advancement in the Christian life in the paths of righteousness and growth but then there are afflictions as we go through this pathway because in verse 4 we find that there is a valley of the shadow of death now again think of the picture of the sheep perhaps this is a mountain pass and as we go up through this mountain pass, there is difficulty and there are dangers that we must face. And it's a frightening place. And as the Lord leads us through this difficult area, he is still with us. And we are learning to trust the Lord in deep affliction and trial as we go into verse 4. But it's moving forward, you see, from the valley, onwards through the pathways, up through difficult circumstances and trials and difficulties. In verse 5, perhaps in higher areas of the mountain, we are in the presence of the enemies, and yet even there we are able to rest. And David, in verse 6, is able to look back and survey the whole of his life and see the goodness and mercy of God have followed him in the easy times, in the growing times, in the difficult times, in the times of persecution and distress. And then he looks forward into eternity and says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. So this is a lovely psalm. It has truth here for every aspect and every period of the Christian life. There is a very precious book, I don't know if you've ever read it, by a man called Douglas Macmillan. 
Douglas Macmillan was a, a shepherd, a Scottish shepherd, a real shepherd with real sheep. And then he was converted and became a preacher. And in his preaching life, he would reflect upon this psalm and he wrote a very well-known book um, on this psalm um, using his own shepherding experience. And one thing that, time since I've read it, but one thing that's always stuck in my mind is that Macmillan, Douglas Macmillan, said, goodness and mercy, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy are the Lord's sheepdogs. The Lord keeps us and points us in the right direction and rounds us up in his goodness and his mercy. And these are his two sheepdogs that constantly follow the sheep and keep them going in the right pathway. Well, I just thought that's a nice little truth, perhaps, to set in our minds. So, this psalm is particularly helpful to us as we go through the Christian life. We, we suffer hardship and difficulty from many causes. We have our proneness to wander. We read in verse 3, he restoreth my soul. We have death's long shadow in verse 5. We have the enemies of our soul in verse, in verse 4. We have the enemies of our soul in verse 5. And through it all, we have the promises of the Lord here to guide us forward and to lead us onwards. Now let's look at some of these verses in a little bit more detail. We read here, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Here is the first need of the sheep is to be fed. He feedeth me in green pastures. Pastures, this is, this is grass, this is lush grass, this is rich grass, this is food for the hungry sheep. And he is here fed by his wise Shepherd, and The Lord Jesus, the first need of our souls when we are converted is to be fed and to be given nourishment. And that's what we have in the word of God. The disciples, when they were sent out into the world with a great commission, the commission was to go and make disciples of all nations, but then to teach them, to baptise them, but then to teach them all things uh, that you have been that you have been taught to teach all to teach the people. Um, uh, the word of God, the word of God is so necessary. Peter likens it to milk for a newborn babe. Here it is likened to green pastures to feed and to strengthen and to help the. Uh, the, 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 the sheep as it's perhaps weary after many a journey we need food to grow we're not going to grow in our Christian lives without reading and diligently hearing the words of life we need it for health somebody who is underfed is more prone to disease and if we want a church where the people will be healthy and diseases like covetousness and selfishness and greed and all those things will not come in. We need to be fed the word of God. The pulpit ministry is the number one priority for the Church of Christ. But we need to be feeding in our own lives. We need to be grazing daily in the precious scriptures of truth. And I would strongly commend to each and every church member, each and every visitor, the habit of regular reading of the scriptures each day. 
you would eat your food every day. Well, this is the spiritual food. You would eat your spiritual food every day, wouldn't you? The word of God, we need it for all these things. With an absence of regular feeding upon the word of God, what will happen? We will grow weak. We will pick up infections. And we might even fall away from the faith altogether. Who knows? So therefore we have the public preaching of the word of God and private study. Um, and yet, it's a sad truth, is it not, that sometimes God's people, we are slow to come to the word. Sometimes we turn away from the word of God, perhaps even for a while at a time, maybe the business affairs of our lives take us over or other things seem to crowd in and the scriptures get crowded out. Well, the Lord will bring us back to the scriptures. It says there, he maketh me to lie down. And sometimes the Lord has to take us in hand and to make us lie down. And he will bring us into difficult and hard situations so that we learn to go back to the word of God. We will have a famine in our souls and we come again back to the scriptures. This is where we meet with Christ. This is where we draw our strength from, from Christ. So he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And this is where we have peace. This is where we have contentment, true peace. Because there is that peace and contentment in lying down. And this is where we gain a spiritual peace and joy and comfort. A comforted soul is a soul that is feeding and nourishing on the word of God. If there is somebody who is unhappy and bleating and complaining, well, be sure that they're not frequently in the scriptures. So here we are, he maketh me to lie down. When we're first converted, one of the things we mark about new Christians is how hungry they are for the word of God. And we give thanks for that. And as we go to the word of God regularly, we gain these marks of joy and peace and contentment. But then there's more to it than that because it says here that he leadeth me uh, beside the still waters. Well, this is part of the similar, similar thing, really, because this type of leading here is a different leading from what we read in the next verse. This leading here means a gentle leading. You see, the Lord not only gives us food, but he gives us drink. He gives us waters to drink. And the waters here are peaceful waters. He doesn't take the sheep down to the fast-running brook where it's going to be dangerous and difficult. He takes us to the gentle water, where it's still, where it's easy to drink from. He leads us tenderly and gently and carefully. And the Lord is so good to us when we're weak and tired. And he brings us again to drink sweetly from the fresh rivers of his grace. And that's what we all need in times of weakness and weariness. But then in verse 3, we find the sheep now somewhat restored and strengthened and able to bear a little bit more moving forward in the Christian life. And we read here, he restoreth my soul. Well, he restoreth my soul. We uh, think perhaps of the word of restoration here in two different senses. There is that restoring as to what we ought to be when we were converted. Sorry, what we ought to be in any case, how can I explain this differently? I'm tripping over my words here. This restoring 
means bringing us back to what God would really truly have us to be. Bringing us back to that image of Christ that we lost in the fall. Bringing us onward in holiness. There's this general work of advancing in sanctification and growth in the Christian life as we go forward. But then from time to time we may fall into sin. We may need to be brought to repentance. And in both of these cases, God restores us. He's doing a regular, ongoing ministry that we might grow in holiness as we go through the Christian life. But then also, when we are prone to wander and we go astray, he will pursue us and he will bring us back. So in both these ways, the Lord restores our soul. You can think, just to give you an example um, of the first item I was talking about there, you can think perhaps here is a dilapidated railway engine and you look at it and you can see the outlines you can see the engineering and you know that once this was a mighty fine piece of equipment but now it's all rusted and it's covered in weeds and some enthusiastic team gets to work and they take the weeds out they repair the rust they oil it they get the the broken pieces of machinery and bit by bit it's taking shape and gradually a great mighty locomotive again rises from the ashes of what it was and perhaps one day it will actually be able to be taken onto a track and taken off as its first maiden voyage or something like that well what we were in adam we lost by the fall and god is now restoring the image into us and yet not just the image of adam but the image of christ so that we are growing and he has a restoration work to do in our souls and this is what he is doing. I know I've moved away from the image of a sheep, but I'm just trying to ex explain the use of this word restore. Restoring our souls, making us what we should be, bringing us onward so that we are more like the people that Christ would have us to be. But then also leading us onwards in our circumstances to bring us back to him when we wander away from him and turn from his pathways. So, he restoreth my soul, but then he leadeth me. So here's another blessing that the Lord does for his sheep. He guides us. The guiding through life's strange and perilous pathways is a wonderful blessing that all God's sheep enjoy. He directs us. He directs us by his word. As we read this word, we gain guidance and help so that when we make life's decisions, we have the scriptures in our minds and in our hearts and we know that I will not boost my fortunes by doing gambling or something like that, but by hard work. That's just an example of a way that the Lord guides us and directs us. But in all the areas of, of our lives, he gives us understanding as to way God's purposes and ways that Christians should live. So he guides us and he directs us. But then in particular pathways that we take. So... In this room, none of us have walked through the same pathway, have we? Our pathways have all been different. Some of us are married, some of us are not married. Some of us have children, some are not children. Some have worked, some are out of work. Some are better off and some are poor off. We're all in different stations and different situations in life. But you see, God is guiding each of his children in their own particular pathway the pathway that he has chosen for them. The pathway he has chosen for you is not the same as the pathway he has chosen for me. Now this differs from what I just said earlier on because when we look at taking the scripture and applying the scripture to our lives, there are things there that are common for us all. 
But then when we come to our individual circumstances, you will find that there are particular scriptures that come to bear on your situation that don't bear on another's situation. But there are some in their situation that don't bear on your situation. You go to the New Testament epistle and you find their instructions to the husbands and to the wives and to the fathers and mothers and to the children and to the masters and to the servants and to the rich and to the poor. You find instructions for every type and category of life. So the scripture is all sufficient. But then when it comes to the actual daily working out of our lives and the decisions we have to make, we have promises there of God's guidance. As if we commit our lives to the Lord in prayerful dependence that he will open the pathways before us and he will lead us onwards. It's a strange thing, walking the Christian pathway. You know, you would sometimes like to see two miles down the road. But very often the Lord doesn't do that. The Lord shows you two yards down the road and you walk those two yards and then he shows you the next two yards. He doesn't guide you right as to what... If you're a young person, he doesn't show you what you're going to be in three, three years' time. But he does show you what you're to do next week. And you follow him. And you take those steps. And the Lord opens up the pathway in front of you. So the Lord will guide you every step of the way through your life if you trust him and you follow him. So he guides me. This is wonderful. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake so that he may be glorified as he leads us onwards. So now we have the sheep nourished and strengthened and yet at the same time led forward in the paths of righteousness and growing a holiness but as we go on and we follow the lord in those pathways difficulties come and we've all faced those difficulties haven't we those trying times and we read here yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil the valley of the shadow of death this is not death itself. It's not speaking here about death. It's speaking about a valley over which death throws its long, dark shadow. This is a gloomy valley. This is a valley through which we must pass as the Lord leadeth us. This isn't a valley that we have chosen we're going to go down ourselves. This is a valley into which the Lord has led us. Because he's led us along the paths of righteousness, but sometimes paths of righteousness lead us through dark and difficult places. We don't doubt that the Lord has, has guided us there and has brought us there. It's through following the Lord that we have been brought into dark and difficult places. So don't suddenly say that this is my own foolish decision. It might be. Sometimes Christians do get themselves into difficult situations. Um, David did more than once in his life. But so often it's through following the Lord that we come into these difficult and dangerous places, the valley of the shadow of death. It's a gloomy place. It's a place of much discouragement and much sadness. It's the shadow of death. It's a place where there is evil and danger. He says, I will fear no evil. It doesn't mean to say that there isn't evil there. It means that there is evil there. But even when he's surrounded by enemies, perhaps in the clifftops looking down at him, wondering if they can pounce, he's not going to fear it because he knows that the Lord is with him. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why does God lead us through these difficult places? Well, to prove his presence to us, so that we might know more fully that he really is with us. 
If we didn't go through hardships, we wouldn't pray nearly as much as we do. The Lord brings us to the place of prayer. The Lord brings us to the place where we forsake all other hopes and all of our human strength and we rest entirely on him. So as we go through these difficult places, we grow to trust and to depend and appreciate the Lord all the more and his promises. That's why it's a precious place, this valley. But notice more about this valley. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... We can't run through this valley. Sometimes we'd like this difficult experiences to be over and done with, but sometimes they go on and on and on and on and on. And you wish that you could get through them. Well, you will get through them one day, somehow, some way, but for the moment we have to be patient and bear these afflictions as they come. We must take them at the pace at which they come. I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to notice as well that although it's not night time here, it's a shadowy valley, but it's not night time. There is sun. You can't have a shadow without having a sun, can you? At night time, you don't get shadows. You only get shadows in daylight. And he speaks here about the shadow of death. That implies that somewhere there is a sun. Up there, beyond this valley, there is a sun shining. But the sun is causing this darkness to come into this valley and there are shadows that I must pass through but David knows that he is going through the valley he is not staying here he is going through the valley this is a temporary experience it may seem like a slow experience he's having to pass through but he knows that it is a he is going through the valley and that better times lie beyond and for the Christian that is always true better times lie beyond you may have afflictions more than you would want at the moment. Perhaps the Lord will bring you through them in this life. Perhaps there will come a time in your life when you will be able to breathe a sigh and those things will be to an extent behind you and you will move into a better and happier time. Well, may it be so. But even if it be that the Lord gives you some affliction that lasts until your dying day, better times lie beyond because there is heaven. There is a place where all affliction shall pass. There is a place where there is only sunshine and joy and nothing else. So here is this valley that David has to pass through. But the great truth in this is that God promises to be with us. Even in the valley, the Lord Jesus promises to be beside us. He says here, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That is the promise. Jesus walks by the side of every pilgrim in this valley. Right beside you is Christ. And he's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you defenceless and helpless in this valley of affliction. He is going to be there every step of the way. And if you start to stumble and lose your way, he'll bring you back with his rod and his staff and keep you in that difficult situation. And should any enemies desire... To pick you off for good, he'll fight them and clear the way for you. So rest assured, dear afflicted Christian, that these afflictions cannot do you any real lasting harm. It may seem as if they damage you, but no, the Lord is using them for your good. So this is the valley of the shadow of death. We must go through it. 
and we will pass through it. And then in verse 5, let's move forward. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, let me just explain this verse. Some people think that the imagery changes. Some people think that at this point in the psalm, David drops the image of a shepherd and a sheep, and he now comes to some kind of a banqueting hall back in his royal palace. But that's turning the psalm on its head because that's, that, that gives it a meaning completely at variance with the, the whole picture of this psalm. There's um, a good um, uh, verse in, in Psalm 78. If you just want to turn with me very briefly just to explain this point in Psalm 78. Um, And verse uh, 52, this is talking about the wilderness experiences of, of the children of Israel, where the children of Israel were taken through the wilderness in Sinai. And David says, but he, he made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So you see, here is a picture of the people of Israel in the wilderness being like a flock of sheep. So this immediately bears a resemblance to Psalm 23. He led them on in safety so that they feared not, verse 53. He brought them to the border of his sanctuary and so forth. So he's talking here about leading the children of Israel through the wilderness like a flock of sheep. And yet, if you go back down to... But right back towards the beginning of the psalm to verses 17 and 18. This is referring to some of the sinful behaviour and thinking of God's people at that time. And they sinned in the wilderness. And they sinned yet more and more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. They were hungry, they were in famine and they... They asked him for food, or they lusted after food. Yea, verse 19, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now, there's the use of this word, a table in the wilderness. What were they looking for? Well, they weren't looking for something with four legs and a teak top and a tablecloth. They were asking, can God give us sufficient food? Can God spread us a spread to eat here in the wilderness? Can God nourish our thirsty and our hungry souls? That's what they were asking, a table in the wilderness. And so it's that kind of language that David is using in Psalm 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So forget candelabras and teak-top, four-legged table things. He's speaking here about a feast. Is God able to give me a feast? Here is a wilderness. Here is a place where, naturally speaking, we might find ourselves to have very little in this earth. But he says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He's perhaps now come through this dark valley. Perhaps now he's in the sun-filled uplands. But there are enemies around him. And he thinks, can God provide for me? Yes, he most certainly can. He can provide all the food and all the nourishment that I need, even in the presence of mine enemies. That's what he's saying. He's still talking about this life. We're not in heaven yet because he's still surrounded by enemies. So we know that this is still part of the, the Christian life here. He is able to feed me. He is able to nourish me. These are people perhaps who have specific hostility towards me because I am a Christian. 
But even in such circumstances, the Lord God is able to feed me and to strengthen me, even if he puts my position in a very difficult and persecuted situation. We think perhaps of our, our brothers and sisters in foreign lands, in Islamic nations, or in the nations of North Korea or China, places where they suffer great persecution for their faith. And we can say, can God sustain and uphold a church in such a situation? And the answer is yes, he can, because he is God and he is everywhere. And he has promised never to leave or to desert his children. And even there, though there is nothing outwardly, yet spiritually thou art able to prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. We read here, thou anointest my head with oil. And that's probably a reference to the Holy Spirit. He gives me the Spirit of God, that precious indwelling blessing, to be with me and to help me forever. My cup runneth over. That speaks of a fullness of joy, fullness of spiritual satisfaction. Though persecuted, though despised, yet I can know joy and aid and help in that situation. And we go to our last verse this evening, the conclusion. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David, perhaps in our imagery here, takes a pause and he looks back at the way he has come. He sees the valley far down below where he was fed and made to lie down by the pleasantly, gently flowing brooks. He looks at the pathway coming up the mountainside as he was being trained, as he was being brought forward in the pathways. He looks at the dark and deep valleys of affliction that he's been caused to pass through. And now he comes to where he is and he looks around him and he says, all that way, all that way God has led me. An elderly believer you can look back in your life, can you not, and give thanks to God for all the way that he has led you down through the years. And you can say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And if the oldest believer in this congregation were able to take the pulpit tonight and preach to you, they would say the same thing as David. Surely goodness and mercy, if you, a word to anybody who's not yet a Christian or anybody who's a young Christian and you have the rest of your life ahead of you, if your trust is in Christ, you can be absolutely certain that through all of the experiences he brings you through, whatever they may be, goodness and mercy, God's faithful sheepdogs, will follow you and keep you and guide you and bless you, even in the most difficult of times. In times of feeding, in times of peace, in times of um, restoration of your souls, guidance, difficult times, help uh, in the... Uh, difficulty of being persecuted all of this God's goodness and mercy will preserve you but that's not the end because the psalm finishes with a look to the future and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever what will happen when this life is past I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever maybe there is little left in your life and we, none of us knows how much longer we have left but what do you do as you survey the future? Here is the Christian's future forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Immortality is in that word. So this is the hope, this is the trust, this is the anticipation. Heaven hereafter. Well, is there anyone here who is struggling with arms low, 
This is a lovely psalmist. Have I told you anything new tonight? I haven't. But I've told you things we all need to be reminded of. Because our hearts need to be lifted up and we need to be given this encouragement. Help for every stage of the Christian life. No wonder this is such a beloved psalm. No wonder so many Christians have chosen this psalm as part of the, or the sung version that we're going to sing in a moment. as part of their funeral services. It's a lovely conclusion to our worship this evening. Well, may we rejoice and give thanks to the Lord. He is our shepherd. He is our faithful shepherd. He is our good shepherd, our great shepherd. He is the shepherd who leads us to himself.